0: Excellent. I know Pete said that I'm going to come and open God's Word to us. I absolutely am, but it would be great if you would open God's Word uh, as well. So, if you've got your Bibles uh, to hand, if you want to turn to the Book of Ephesians, we're going to be carrying on our our series exploring this letter together. We're now in Ephesians chapter two. Just while you find your way there, I was uh, uh, having just a really great time this week, uh, just in terms of my preparation, thinking upon these verses, seeking God for what. He would say, I went out on a, on a walk, as you know, I tend to do, uh, Been out for a good few hours, just thinking on these verses and thinking through what God wanted to, to draw out for us today. And then I quickly looked at my phone, jumped on Twitter, uh, and the following tweet was there. It said, hey, you. And I thought, oh, I'd better read this. They said, hey, you, you should let Ephesians 2 absolutely pour over you today. They said, read it, breathe it in. OK, that's all. That was the tweet. And I thought how amazing on a day where I'd spent a couple of hours thinking upon Ephesians 2 that someone would be encouraging us to let Ephesians 2 absolutely pour over us that day. And what, the reason I want to bring that is uh, it was just great for me to hear that. I nearly replied saying, Do you know what, I've been doing that for the last few hours. Uh, But what I want to encourage each of us today is that as we come to open Ephesians 2 and read some of these verses in here together, let the truths of these words pour over you today. Let's not rush through it. Breathe it in. Take it in. Let it be the very breath to you today. So let's read from Ephesians 2. We're going to read from verses 1 to 10. So again, let's just come with that mentality or that attitude, that heart posture of just allowing this to pour over us today. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not a work of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, you may remember, or this might not have twigged with you, but back in November in one of the other series we were doing, Lou spoke on these, on these verses. Her focus was particularly on verse 10, so on that final verse. And she just so helpfully uh, helped us to explore what it means to be God's workmanship, uh and she laid a really vital and important foundation for us through the verses that came before it so not just the focus on verse 10 but on these verses a really helpful foundation and i don't know if you remember but the title that she gave to her sermon that day was whose before who before what understanding whose we are before knowing who we are before what we do and this morning we're going to spend a little more time allowing these truths to pour over us again. Now, uh, this series we've called Sit, Walk, Stand. It's based on a book by Watchman Nee, and that's the title of the book. And it really, it's his unpacking Ephesians. And he says that this this title of Sit, Walk, Stand helps us to understand the structure of what Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus. That the first three chapters speak to us about what God has done for us and how we're to sit and rest in what God has done for us through Jesus. Then chapter four onwards speaks about how we're to walk, what it looks like to to live as those who follow Jesus. And then we'll see towards the very end, tells us about how we're to stand against the schemes of the enemy. And going back to what Lou brought back in November, again, this focus was on uh, God's workmanship created for for good works that God has prepared in order for us to walk in. There's something that God has for us to walk in. And, but these early verses of what we've just read, of chapter 2, they speak of a different way of walking. But it's not in good terms. Like walking, uh, walking in the good works that God has for us, it's, actually it's far from that. But in these verses, Paul takes us from this walk-in, in these early verses, and he reveals to us what has happened that now makes it possible for us to walk in good, in good works. And so we're going to journey through that today. And hopefully as we do that, our series title will begin to unfold a little more to us as we understand this, this, this kind of um, sequence, really, of sit, walk, stand. Now in uh, verses 1 to 3, the beginning of this chapter, the beginning of these sentences that Paul writes to the church to the believers he's really saying this is what your life looked like before you followed Jesus this is what your life was like and rather than walking in good works you were walking or we were walking in way uh, sorry rather than walking in good works and in ways that glorified God we were still walking it's like we're all walking we're all giving our lives to something so we're all walking in in some way but Actually, before we were following Jesus, we were walking in opposition and hostility towards God, far from walking in the works that he prepared for us. We were walking uh, in opposition and hostility towards him, whether we understood that or whether we didn't. You know, for many of us, we weren't even aware that that was the case until someone shared the gospel with us. We were living not from a place of relationship with God, but from a place of separation with God and that is true for all people from the point that sin entered in and brokenness comes into the world and those who were created for fellowship with God find themselves separated from him and Paul says actually this is the state into which we are born into it's not anything that we have done particularly but it's what we have been born into and the place in which we find ourselves and we all follow something everyone follows something Paul again tells us that that is the case when we were far from God we were still following something we were following the thinking of the world we were following our own cravings and our desires and our passions but not only that he also speaks about doesn't he he speaks about that we were following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience when he's talking about that we need to understand that he's talking about Talking about our enemies, talking about Satan. And it's true that since sin entered into God's creation, Satan has had influence and he's had a, a level of authority within that brokenness. And it's pretty bleak reading as we read that. That is how we once were. And then if we were to jump to verse 10, which is speaking of how actually we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. For, goods, for God's work we have to think what has moved us from a life of distance and disobedience and separation to a life that brings glory to God what has made that possible maybe we start by looking at ourselves sometimes we can do that can't we when we're faced with a problem or a situation we can look to ourselves and think okay so what can we do to bring change or what can we do to rectify the situation in which we find ourselves. And if we do that, we we can look, uh, start by looking at ourselves and ask, is there anything that we could have done or is there anything that we could have achieved? And the only possible answer, the only possible conclusion that we can come to is, is no, there's nothing we could have done. Right at the beginning of chapter two in verse one, Paul says that we were, we were dead. We were spiritually dead. There was no way that we could have any responsiveness towards God. There was nothing within us. There was no ability to please him. With regards to us and God, we were dead. And we might think, that is strong language to be used That's harsh language. And, and maybe it sits really uncomfortably with us, And we just think, could there not be another way that Paul could have worded this and, 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 and how God would have kind of inspired Paul in, in maybe in a different way to use different sorts of language. But actually, we really need to understand why it's important for us to, to grasp that we were spiritually dead, because when we realised we were dead, we realised that there is nothing at all that we could do. Phil Moore. Puts it like this in his commentary. He says, We were not drowning people who needed to be thrown a lifebelt. We were not sick people who needed rehabilitation. We were not sleepy people who needed to be awoken. We were dead. We were not so much in need of medicine as of a miracle. The difficulty in which we find ourselves is if we just think, oh, maybe there's just a sickness within us that needs some sort of of healing or maybe we're just sleepy people that need to be reawoken then we look to ourselves and think what can we do to stir us out of that place or to bring us out of that place but no when we realize that we were spiritually dead before God we realize there is nothing at all that we could do so if the answer is not us then what or who and this is where this beautiful beautiful couple of words in verse four in our bibles comes through but god do you know i think this is one of those moments where as we were encouraged to let kind of ephesians 2 just pour over us and and just breathe it in these are two words that we need to just rest in and sit in but god in that place in which we were in hostility and opposition before god Spiritually dead, unable to do anything with no responsiveness to God, no ability to please Him into that place. But God, I've heard it said that these are the greatest, this is the greatest short phrase in the history of human speech. I find it hard to disagree with that. I seem to remember a few weeks ago during our worship, uh, I think it was Lou uh, kind of drew our attention to this again. But God, there are situations in life and in history where we, fo- we see things go in one way and then in that place God steps in and everything changes in a way that only God could do but God as God looked upon us and saw us as Paul describes us in in those in those verses one to three God saw us there and what did he do What is this but God moment? What does it look like? It looks like this. It looks like God sending his son, Jesus. To be born and to live a life, to be able to experience what we experience, to face the same challenges and temptations as we face, to be able to. He he knows what it's like to live in the way that we do. And then he's filled with the spirit and as he's filled with the spirit he goes about preaching and proclaiming the gospel and and healing the sick and uh, and, and and telling people to, to trust in him and to put their faith in him saying that he's going to bring uh, restoration and then there are those who hated this message that he was proclaiming and they put him to death on a cross but jesus who lived his life in perfect obedience to the father never living in opposition or hostility towards him as he's crucified on the cross he takes our sin upon himself and our sin is nailed to that cross and it dies with Jesus and then Jesus gloriously raises is, is raised from the dead because death could not hold him and because he is raised as, for those who put their faith in him we know that what happened to Jesus will happen to us and then last week Mike, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Mike so helpfully helped us to understand that when Jesus returned again to the Father, he returned to sit at the right hand of the Father, that all authority has been given to him to sit in that place of all power and all authority. That is what that but God moment looks like. And when we come to put our faith and our trust in Jesus, as we confess our sins and we make Jesus King of our lives. Everything changes. What was true of verses one to three is no longer true for us anymore. We were once following the spirit. Sorry, we uh, just jump back. We were once um, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, but actually in Christ, Paul will go on to tell us in, in, in chapter 5 of Ephesians that we have now been filled with the Spirit of God. Elsewhere, Romans eight fourteen, Galatians 5, 16 says that we are to be led by the Spirit, that we are to walk by the Spirit. So those ways in which we previously walked, those things that we previously followed, we don't follow those ways anymore because God has taken up residence in us by his Holy Spirit. Verses 1 to 3 tell us that we once lived in the passions of the flesh. That was the place in which we found ourselves, that place in which we lived our lives out of. But Galatians 2 verse 12 doesn't say that we, we live in the passions of the flesh anymore. It says this, instead that we have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved And gave himself up for me. We don't live in the passions of the flesh anymore. We live in Christ. We are found in him. Paul, in verses one to three, tells us that we were once children of wrath. And yet, in our first week, when we were exploring this book together, in chapter one, verse five, we're told actually we've been adopted as sons and daughters to be children of God we're not children of wrath anymore we're sons and daughters of God can you see how everything that was true of one to three has been absolutely transformed and changed because of this but God moment because of what God has done for us let me put it this way the hopelessness of verses one to three is undone in Christ There's no hope in in those early verses, is there? But the hopelessness of that reality is undone in Christ. But what initiated this but God moment? What led God to do all this for us? What led God when he looked at us and saw us in the place and state that we were in to send Jesus in our place? Paul tells us. As he continues, he leaves us in, in no doubt, really, he says the reason God did this is because of his great love for us. This is another one of those moments, just breathe it in, just think about that just for one moment. What initiated God to do what he did through sending Jesus? It was because of his great love for us we had nothing to offer let's be under no illusions remember we were dead we had nothing to offer nothing that we could give nothing that we could bring in fact anything that we do offer is is our brokenness and our sin but it was because of his great love for us and again as paul continues he leaves us in no doubt at all um when he says that it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one could boast. This is about what God has done for us. And if it feels like maybe I'm laboring that point in the time we've had so far, there's a reason why because this is the point that Paul is laboring to us and really wants to make clear to us This is a gift of grace. This is an act of God's love for us. We've got nothing to boast in. Actually, if we're gonna boast in anything, we're gonna boast in Christ. We're gonna boast in him and in him alone, in who he is and in what he has done. We've been saved. We've We've been rescued. We've been saved. We've been brought back to life. We've been made alive in Christ. Surely that is enough. Surely that is more than enough. Surely that is more than we could ever have hoped for. But that's not it. We've been saved, but we've also been raised up and seated with him. Remember our series title is Sit, Walk, Stand." Before we walk, before we walk in in, in the ways that God has called us to, before we walk in the good works that he has prepared for us to do, before we walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel, we sit. We sit, we find ourselves raised up and seated with him in Christ Jesus in the heavenly places. Spiritually, we were dead, but God, now spiritually, we're seated with Christ, who himself is seated at the right hand. Of the Father. If you were to go back and read uh, chapter 1, verse 15 to 23, which was what Mike so helpfully explored with us and helped us to unpack, if you read that again, not now, but at some point, go back and reread that, but in light of what we now know. Read what it looks like or what it means for Jesus to be seated at the right hand of the Father, but now read it again, knowing that we have been raised and seated with him in that same place. Let that wash over you. Breathe that in. Think about what that truly means. Is it not enough? Is it not more than enough that Christ has, has saved us? That's more than we could ever hope for. But not only that, he's raised us up and seated us with him. And we need to sit here before we walk in the works that Paul tells us that God has prepared for us. Now, when I was thinking about this, Thinking what to share this morning, and I was thinking about seating. For some reason, uh, weddings came into my mind. And one of the first things we do is that when we go to a wedding or get to the reception, we look at the seating chart, don't we? We look at where are we going to be sat? Who are we sat with? How far away from the top table have we been put? That's what we all want to know. Uh, and actually, when we look at the top table, And we we look and we see, actually, we we kind of know who's already going to be on that top table. Who's going to be sat there with the bride and green? Because we know that it's not about what have you done to earn a place there. It's about the relationship. It's about who you are. I don't know. Maybe other people have done this. But when I chose my best man, I didn't hold a competition or say who's impressed me most. Maybe I should have done. Who's impressed me most? Who kind of has worked their way to achieve their invitation up to the top table and to be a part of of this day, It's not that. It's about the relationship that is there. It's about who we are, not about what we have done. And in the same way, when we're talking about being seated with Christ, it's not about what have you done to, to earn a place there. It's about an invitation that we have been given because of who Christ has made us to be. Born out of the relationship that we now have. Through Christ in God. And maybe you're here and you think, actually, even in terms of relationship with God, I feel more like I'm on a table at the edge. Thinking about a wedding, I'm only here because I, I, because I know someone who knows someone. That's the only reason why I'm here. We can feel I feel a little bit more on the edge and I look at others and I see, oh, they're, they're at a table closer to the top table. Or, oh, I know them. they're actually on the top table there. They must be close. I want to say this, that, that is not how it works when it comes to God. What it means to be seated with Christ is this. It means that we have immediate access to God the Father. It means that we have a share in the the measure of the authority that Jesus has. Know this. You are seated with him in heavenly places. Not because of anything wonderful about you or impressive about you not because of anything that you've done to achieve or earn that place, but because you have been invited. Because God wants to know you as his children and for you to know him as your father. This is the place that we need to live our lives from. Before we walk, we have to sit in that place. So we've taken our, our series title from that book by Watchman Nee. Let's actually hear a little bit more of what he he says himself in his book. Pete, I think, quoted this, I think, in, in, in week one. But I just want to read it to us again. Because really, this is what it's about when we're talking about sitting before we walk. Watchman Nee writes this. He says that most Christians make the mistake of trying to walk in order to be able to sit. In other words, we feel like we have to do something in order to be able to to sit with Christ. But that is a reversal of the true order. Our natural reason says if we do not walk, how can we ever reach that goal? What can we attain without effort? How can we ever get anywhere if we do not move? But Christianity is a queer business. If at the outset we try to do anything, we get nothing. If we seek to attain something, we miss nothing everything for christianity begins not with a big do but with a big done thus ephesians opens with the statement that god has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in christ and we are invited at the very outset to sit down and enjoy what god has done for us not to set out to try and attain it for ourselves And we need to hear this message over and over again because otherwise our inclination, whether we've been saved for a few days or weeks or years or decades, our natural inclination is sometimes to revert back and still think I've still got to earn some favor or I've still got to work my way back. And we need to be reminded of the proper order. We don't work from a place of what, has been, uh, of what we have to do. It's from a place of what has been done. Let us never stray from that wonderful truth. In, we're going to get to chapter 4 in a few weeks' time. And in chapter 4, like we say, Paul tells us what it looks like to walk and how it is that we're meant to walk in ways that are glorifying to God and are appropriate in terms of the life that God has called us to and what our lives to look like but we're not going to rush to get to chapter four that will come actually what paul wants us to do is to sit in chapters one to three for a little while longer because in chapters one to three he shows us and teaches us about how to sit with christ and how to rest in all that he has done for us and again i want to say this to you as someone who recognizes this in my own life we need to be reminded of this often So can I encourage you as we, again, that tweet at the start. Hey, you. (laughs) Yes, you. You should let Ephesians 2 absolutely pour over you. Read it. Breathe it in. Let's come back often to the truths of what God has done for us, of the reality of where we once were. Do you know this? we can see that this this letter was written it was written to christians it was written to the church for followers of jesus and that's why paul was writing like this he's saying this is who you who you were this is no longer who you are this is who you were but if you're not a christian the reality is is that is who you still are you have to understand that that is who All of us once were, maybe we still are, but this is good news for you. The gospel is good news for you because Christ himself has made a way for us to come to the Father. But not only that, Paul is writing to say this is who you were because he's reminding them not only about how they were saved, but how they must continue as well. This is who you were, but this is what God has done for you. Never lose sight of that. Don't forget that. Don't revert back to the old ways of being. Understand what it is that God has done for you through Christ because of his great love for you. And remember, this is a work of grace. Through faith in Christ. I just want to finish by saying this again, just going back to that tweet at the start. Which encouraged us to breathe in Ephesians 2 and to breathe in the wonders of the gospel. Funnily enough, another tweet that I was reading this by a guy named by, this time by a guy named Jared Wilson, and he's speaking to preachers. He said about this, about when, when we're coming to preach, he says about not loading our backs with the bricks of to-dos, rather to fill our lungs with the oxygen of it is finished. I just thought that's so helpful. Yes, there are things that God has called us to do. There are works we know that God has called us to to walk in. But we're not to load our backs with the bricks of to-dos like a heavy burden or a heavy load, but rather we're to fill our lungs with the oxygen of it is finished. And really, in this book of Ephesians, this is what Paul is enabling us to do in this letter, to sit, to breathe it in, to let it pour over us. And again, I just want to finish with this friends, breathe deeply on what God has done for us in Jesus as surely as we need to breathe oxygen. Let us breathe in the grace of the gospel. Let us breathe in the oxygen of it is finished. And let that be the place from which we live our lives. Let that be the place from which we walk.